Hello, friends, and welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. Today's guest is Paul Miller. Enjoy this conversation with your host, Mark Weinstein. Thank you, Sarah. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Weinstein, and welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. My guest today is Paul Miller, a senior from Sheridan, Iowa. Paul is majoring in digital film, and his heart is bent toward telling stories through films. We'll talk about his passion for telling stories through movies later on the podcast, but at the core of today's program is how Paul was able to win state and national speech awards at Cedarville University, even though he was once told by medical doctors that he would never be able to speak. You'll love hearing Paul's story from his very own words later on the program. But for now, let me introduce Paul Miller to this week's Cedarville Stories podcast. Welcome, Paul. It is great to have you in studio. Thank you so much. I'm very, very glad to be here. It's great. I, I, I've heard your story for a couple of months, I think, by now, and I I saw a nice interview you did with a um, statewide TV station uh, last week. So I've been interested in letting our podcast guests hear your story. So let's begin. Um, you know, I could talk about your medical condition or you being an award-winning member of the Cedarville speech team or your interest in telling stories through films. But at the center of your life is your relationship with Jesus Christ. Can you share with us your testimony of faith? Right. I was born in a godly Christian home. My dad was a youth pastor. My mom led worship. Um, So I was in the church every time the doors were open, even when the doors were not technically open, I was still in the church. Um, So definitely growing up Southern Baptist roots, uh, because that was in Georgia at the time. So I don't remember a day where my parents were not talking to me about religion and Jesus in some form or fashion. Yeah. But it really wasn't until I was six, uh, almost seven years old, that that I really kind of began to really pay attention to that. I struggled with fear a lot growing up, um, and specifically fear of death. Not so much my death, but also the parent, the death of my parents or my family or loved ones. I didn't want to die and be alone or have them die and know that I was alone. And I saw death at the end was just the means of ultimate and eternal loneliness. And it was one night that I couldn't take that fear anymore. And I cried out to the Lord laying in my bed and I was like, Hey, God, forgive me of my sin. I don't want to die. I know I'm a sinner. I don't want to die and be alone and separated from you and my loved ones forever. So that was when I was first born again and I was on fire for the Lord. I remember growing up and always asking my mom like, Hey, you know, we'd stop at a McDonald's drive through or something like, Hey, ask, ask the lady at the window if she knows Jesus. And my mom's like, are you serious? But I was on fire and that continued well into, well into high school. It wasn't until high school though, that I really started, started wondering if, you know, that was really, really what I wanted. I started having doubts about, you know, is, is Jesus really what I, what I want to follow? And it wasn't until senior year of high school, I went to a youth conference actually that Dr. DeWitt, Dr. Dan DeWitt spoke at, and he took us to John chapter six and verse 66 talks about how Jesus was teaching. And a lot of people left because they were kind of weirded out by Jesus's teaching. And in verse 67, Jesus looks to Simon Peter and says, are you going to leave me too? And verse 68, which became my life first, Simon Peter answers him and says, Lord, where else would we go when you alone have the words of eternal life? And I realized through that, that there's nothing else in the world. All the things I was chasing after were just 
it was empty. It was meaningless and worthless. And at the end of the day, Jesus is the only thing that matters. So it was that moment and through freshman year, um, I actually did a year long missions program kind of as a gap year that my, my faith became my own. It was no longer my parents' religion that I was just riding the coattails to. It became my own and it became real. And so, yeah, that's kind of my testimony in a nutshell. So, Paul, as you think back to your years at Cedarville, I know you've attended a lot of chapels. You will earn a Bible minor when you graduate in in December, and you develop relationships with faculty, staff, and students. Um, Through all of these examples, and maybe some that I don't even know about, how has the Lord transformed you spiritually during your 1,000 days at Cedar? Because you, you came up, you came on campus on fire, so to speak, but how has he even transformed you more like himself through your 1,000 days on campus? I would say just boldness in using the gifts and the talents that the Lord has given me to make him known um, and realizing that everything can be a platform to share the gospel. Mm-hmm. It, you don't just have to be a biblical studies major to proclaim the gospel. Right. You can you can share your faith and share the love of Christ to a lost and dying world through through media, through entertainment, or whatever your major is, whether that's geology or psychology or nursing. Yeah. It's everything the Lord's using you as as a platform to to share that love and share the hope to a lost and dying world, which so desperately needs to hear it. And what I noticed uh, last week when we were together, when you were doing the the television uh, interview, that you are actually sharing your faith with with the reporter who was asking you questions. He may not have even realized that you were uh, sprinkling seeds of truth. And I thought it was really neat to see that uh, the story was about you and what we're going to talk about later in the podcast, but you ultimately turned it to point him to Jesus, whether he noticed it or not. I think when you've had your life changed and transformed so much, you can't help but talk about who's changed your life because it's, it's a life-changing thing when you yeah. when you see Jesus and you saw what your life was like before Jesus and then you see what your life is like with him. You don't want to go back, but you also want the entire world to know that. And, the, and you want the entire world to come with you. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I really want to thank you for sharing your spiritual journey uh, with us, Paul. It's obvious from your story that from your years at Cedarville, they've been important to you. They've, they've provided you spiritual, spiritual development, personal growth, academic success. And that leads me to my next question. So I don't know where in the world Sheridan, Iowa is other than in the state of <laughs> Iowa, but how did, a, how did a young guy from Sheridan, Iowa find his way to Cedarville University? Right. Uh, that's, a, <laughs> that's a story. So as I mentioned earlier, I was not born in Iowa. I was born and raised in Georgia, True. moved to Iowa when I was 13, when my dad was called to be a senior pastor. So he moved from the role of youth pastor in Georgia to senior pastor in Iowa. Um, and it was during that senior year that I began to really start thinking like, wow, what am I going to do with my life? Um, I think the word that comes to my mind is flighty. I was extremely flighty. So I applied to not one, not two, but like 13 different colleges trying to be like, Lord, where do you want me to go to school? Um, I was accepted at all but one. So that really narrowed the choices down. Um, and one of those colleges I was talking to, um, my piano teacher from Georgia about, and she's like, Hey, have you looked at Cedarville university? And I hadn't even heard of it, but her son had 
looked at Cedarville for a time, ended up going to a different school just because it was closer to Georgia. But she's like, I really think it would be a great school for you. So I looked at it and I came uh, at a CU Friday. Yeah. Um, so I got to tour campus. We got to spend the night in Lawler and I fell in love with it. It felt like home and it was, it was where the Lord led me. And I'm super, super thankful. So the credit definitely goes to my piano teacher from Georgia for that one. Well, we'll give her a, uh, boy and, uh, maybe we'll send her a note of congratulations and thankfulness for, for sending you our way. We're glad you're here. Do you have a favorite memory from your time at Cedarville? I, I know there's a lot of things to choose from, but can you boil it down to maybe one or two? Wow. I think the two that really stick out the most, um, obviously, which we'll talk a little bit about later, um, just being on the speech team, that was, that's a huge memory that I look back with a lot of joy and fun times. Yeah. But um, senior year uh, in the fall, fall of, what would that be, 2021, I had the opportunity to be in the theater department's production of Anne of Green Gables. That was my first time performing on the DeVries stage. And I think just growing alongside an crazy talented cast and also getting to work very closely with Professor Stratton and several other people in the theater department, it was it was a fun time. It was a lot of work, several long nights, but sure. I think that's probably a highlight that just stole the show for me. Is that the only performance you've been in? It is not. Um, I followed up with Meet Me in St. Louis and The Beams Are Creaking as well. Oh, okay. So I did all three of those shows back to back. Okay. Well, we enjoyed uh, Meet Me in St. Louis. Oh, did you? Or St. Louis. Yes, sir. It was, it was a fun show. It was a fun one. So I'm talking with Paul Miller about his faith and how the Lord has transformed him during his past four years at Cedarville. I want to shift, Paul, our conversation to when you were just 18 months Old and doctors noticed you were experiencing moderate hearing loss during a wellness check. And then two and a half years after that, you were diagnosed with a severe case of oral motor apraxia, which is a speech inhibiting disorder. Do you remember hearing the news? And then how did your parents and you respond to the fact that you would never communicate verbally? Because I was so young, only like two or three when I was diagnosed with oral motor apraxia. I don't remember that. Yeah. For sure. But I know my mom, my mom remembers it a lot. I remember she's told me multiple times the day that the doctors told her that I would never speak and that no one would understand me. She walked out of the doctor's office and got to the car and she said, with the help of my God, he will. Really? And she went to the church and they started praying for me. And they have a joke now that they used to pray that I would speak and now they pray I'll shut up one day. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... It's definitely, it was, it was the work of God because I was told I would never speak and there's no medical rhyme or reason. It was, it was all the Lord that, that did that. So I don't necessarily remember, remember hearing that news. Um, I remember definitely having speech problems and having to go to therapy for all that, but the actual hearing of the news has come much later. So when you first started kindergarten, you weren't speaking then, really, were you? Um, very, very barely. I believe my first word came when I was four. Um, okay. And that was the word mama. So let's, let's go down that path. So the first word you said was mama. Uh, how meaningful was that to your mama? I, I don't remember exactly for sure because, again, I was very, very young. But right. I do know that 
that it was very impactful. Um, and I'm a mama's boy. I am. I love my mom. Uh, love her to death. <laughs> but I don't know. I think that has given also a very deep connection between me and my mom. Is yeah. even to this day. Even to this day yeah. of just how impactful that that is. I'm, I'm extremely grateful for my parents and I love them. So um, because you were so young, you really weren't aware of, of what was going on. Did you experience any, any trauma related to not being able to speak? Or did you feel different with, compared to other boys and girls your age? Or was there anything going on like that in your heart and mind? Mm -hmm. Definitely growing up, my family, they were my closest friends. I mean, I had friends at church. But the people I relied on the most was definitely my parents and my older sister a lot. So I, I think it was kind of almost embarrassment maybe or, or fear of how people would other, other people would view me because I had some speech problems. It just, I gravitated towards my family. Yeah. The public relations team wrote a story about you and this story that we're talking about today in the podcast. And your mom said that you were a very vocal child but not verbally. What does it mean to be vocal and how were you able to communicate with your parents? Yeah. So before I really started speaking, the noise I made was, uh, that was, so anytime I needed something to be like, uh, and I would point and my older sister and I had this very, very strong connection. Um, we're only 16 months apart. Okay. And so a lot of times she would be able to communicate to my parents what I was needing, whether it was, a diaper change or need more water in my sippy cup. So I would rely on my older sister to communicate for me. And eventually my parents were able to kind of also understand what I wanted just through facial emotion and right. what I was pointing and needing at the time. So I, I read a little bit about your story and I thought uh, you guys navigated toward sign language of some kind. Did you guys use a formal sign language method or did you just make up your own language? As far as I remember, it was pretty much we all made it up specific to our family, but we did use the standard like please and thank you and stuff like that. Do you, can you use sign language today to help anyone? I cannot. I, I really wish I could. That it actually was a dream of mine for a long time was I wanted to be an interpreter for ASL. Mm. But, and maybe one day, but that is not, that's not my strong suit right now. Let's fast forward a little to the point where you can now speak after nearly six years of speech therapy. How old were you when you knew you could speak? And when you did speak, were you, were you speaking with confidence or did you have a little bit of cautious fear in those words? So while in speech therapy, we did all these different activities. I remember anytime I did something good or could say a word right, I'm stuttering now trying to spit it out, but my speech therapist would give me a bowl of pistachio pudding. She called it alligator pudding because it's green and it made me happy. But I remember that the tricky letter was R. Yeah. Um, and the secret she gave me was like, just smile anytime you need to say that because the way your mouth forms when you smile is the same form you say when you use the letter R. And so I'd try to say rabbit and I'd have to smile when I say rabbit or pretty much any other word with an R in it. Um, I remember for a long time, I was really nervous and lack of confidence for sure. Yeah. Um, we'd go to restaurants and would try to order. And I would always just like tap my mom on the shoulder and be like, order that for me. Cause I don't, I don't want to, yeah. you know, I was very embarrassed, very shy. And yeah. 
relied heavily on my parents to communicate for me. Even though I was speaking at the time, I think it was also just fear of man and what are they going to say? Like, why can't your boy talk right? You know? So when did you get over all that? Or are you over all that? There's definitely some moments. I mean, I can order at a restaurant now, but there are definitely moments of, you know, I think fear of man is, is definitely something that still plays part. Like, what are they thinking about me right now? Um, which is something I'm still still growing in and still working towards. But, I mean, I graduated from the speech therapy program when I was eight. They started preparing me to be released from the program a year prior when I was seven. And when I was eight, I graduated and was out of the program. So that was when I was really kind of speaking more clearly and better. But I don't really know exactly when the confidence to start ordering on my own came and stuff like that. Yeah. So roughly... Uh, you were speaking pretty well by the third grade. Yes, sir. Yeah. So uh, with with your diagnosis, is it really rare that people with that diagnosis do not speak? So when I was originally diagnosed with it, um, it was a very, very new condition that pe- okay. that they were not aware of. My therapist had just heard about it like a month or two prior to me enrolling in the program with oral motor apraxia. Yeah. As far as I know, they've not done really any studies, um, except hearing that it's a lot dependent on the person and their drive. And it, it's a case by case, the okay. severity of the issue. Yeah. But there's no formal study of X amount of people will be able to speak as opposed to those who won't. Okay. So as we rapidly move toward the end of the program, I know, Paul, your parents modeled the love of Christ to you by encouraging you when you couldn't speak. They invested in you financially by taking you to speech therapy for years. Are there times today when your love for your parents overflows with gratitude for the way they loved you as a child? I have to think it's, there's abundance there. There is for sure. Um, I love my parents. I'm extremely thankful for my parents for all the ways they've supported me through speech therapy when I was really, really young. Uh, they took me to acting classes when I was in high school So they paid for that and helping me through college. I'm extremely grateful and I can't think of a way that I could pay them back for all the, all the ways that they've blessed me other than to, to say thank you and call them and just, you know, even if it's just a simple text at, you know, sitting in class and be like, man, I'm really thankful for my parents that I get to learn and study here at Cedarville. And so it's, even if it's just a simple text, like, Hey, I love you. I just want to want to reach out, you know, or a simple phone conversation with them. I mean, there's really no way. I mean, I've tried to do things for my parents, but it doesn't, it pales in comparison to the blessings and the gift that they gave me. So I would think one big uh, tangible way that they're going to feel your love and gratitude is when you march across that stage, at earning your degree from Cedarville and already seeing you perform on the DeVry's Theater stage, um, those are all elements of what they invested in you because without their investment in you, those may not happen, right? Right. The, it's, it's because of my parents that I'm here today and who I am today. All the times they drove me to speech therapy and paid for, for me to go to therapy and helped me financially through, through Cedarville and right. stuff like that. It's the things that I love to do, but at the end of the day, it's because of them. So, you know, your parents have been great role models for you. Have you been able to use your experiences 
to be a role model to somebody else or to impact somebody else who is struggling with, may not be a speech disorder, but it may be some kind of issue or struggle they're going through. Have lessons that you've learned from what you've gone through been able to be used with other people? Yes. In speech, one of the speeches I gave um, was a slam poetry and it was on, you know, believing in miracles and stuff like that. Yeah. And I actually got to take that to multiple tournaments and one state champion with that poetry interpretation of that. And so I, th- I think through that, but also while here at Cedarville, I was a discipleship leader. Um, and so getting to encourage people and come alongside them and, you know, even if it's just a, you know, hey, can I pray for you about this? And sitting down or grabbing a meal with them, it's it's an encouraging thing. So you, you mentioned just now about state championships and tournament championships here at Cedarville. How meaningful are those accomplishments to you, knowing that much earlier in your life you couldn't speak and you've really grown a lot? How, so how meaningful are your speech accomplishments? I mean, at the end of the day, it's, a plaque on the wall, but I'd say it's also, it's a testimony to the Lord and his goodness and everything that he did. It wasn't, wasn't through me. It was all through him that I'm able to, to speak today. So a testimony to his greatness for sure. Yeah. As I mentioned at the outset of the podcast, um, you have a passion for telling stories through film. Uh, you're pursuing that degree here at Cedarville. Where did this interest come from to tell stories through film? I've, Always been attracted to the entertainment industry. At first, I thought it was theater and doing live productions. And then as I got older, middle school and high school, my love for movies really began to set sail. I remember specifically Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life was the movie that I was like, wow, I want to do that one day, um, tell stories like that. I've also seen how movies have impacted people. Uh, It was through watching the insanity of God kind of docudrama that my older sister decided she wanted to give her life over and become a full-time missionary. And so I've seen the power that media has. And so I want to, I want to follow through that and use the entertainment industry as a platform to tell stories, but to let those stories radically impact people. Yeah. Do you have a uh, specific genre or kind of film that you want to Um, go toward? At the end of the day, I want them to be faith-based. Not necessarily every movie that I create will probably won't be set in Bible times for sure, or might not have a big salvation conversion. But at the end of the day, there's will be something that, that points people back to Christ. Yeah. And I think the, the quote unquote Christian movies have really come a long way in the last decade. Is that your observation? They have. They have. They've definitely stepped up their game and are light years ahead of where they were. You know, several years ago, there wasn't even a platform for that. And now they're being released every year, multiple a year. So let's finish our conversation with this question. So at the end of the day, you're going to graduate from Cedarville. You're going to pursue the film industry in some way. How will you do that? And then how can you intersect your faith in the film industry. Yeah. At the end of the day, I don't know where the Lord has me, what role job he's got me stepping into right after graduation. Still trusting the Lord to open up the right doors. But even if it's through relationships, if even if I'm just a production assistant on a film set, just relationships with other PAs and eventually working the way up to the totem pole to where you are director 
or director of photography and getting to creatively tell a story that points others to Christ. Will you, do you feel like you have to go to film school? That is all up in the Lord's hands. You can make multiple movies now without a degree in film school. It's helpful, but you don't have to. So my initial steps are, let me see what I can do, see what doors the Lord opens up. And if the Lord opens up an opportunity to go to film school, then I would love to pursue that route. Have you started cultivating some paths toward developing relationships that can lead to future opportunities? Yes. Throughout school, I had an internship with Fuel Films in Covington, Georgia, just about 30 minutes east of Atlanta, and they've got multiple ties. And I've also got some ties to some storyboard artists that have storyboard for the Cohen brothers and several other directors. So definitely finding these network connections that are willing to pour into me even after I graduate. Yeah. Well, that's great. I, I think you have a great platform to tell a lot of stories. People love films and movies, and uh, I'm excited to see what you're going to do in that world of, of business and how the Lord will, will lead you. Paul, thanks for uh, joining us today in studio and being on the Cedarville Stories podcast. It's great to tell your story. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.